Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast brought to you by 70 Agency. You're listening to Martina and Barbara. Welcome to the very first episode of 70 Tech Talks, an auditory journey through the landscape of technology, business and brands and whatever trends that shake up the intersection of these three My name is Martina. I'm a strategist at brand and business design agency 70. Uh, been involved in everything from exploring new use cases of 5G to repositioning large Nordic software companies. And with me, I have my dear friend and colleague Barbara. Hello, Barbara. Hi, Martina. <laughs> Barbara, who are you? Can you just give us a brief introduction? Absolutely. Uh, so hi again and hi everyone. Thank you for the lovely introduction. As you mentioned, I work alongside you as a senior producer at 70. I have previously worked within the field of emerging tech, more specifically virtual and augmented reality, not only in Sweden, but also in Shanghai and Sydney, working with clients such as McDonald's, Ferrari and H&M, to name a few. And I have since then built a tremendous love and interest for tech in a broader perspective. Yeah, and I guess that's what makes 70 such an exciting place to be, isn't it? We build brands, we create beautiful design and exciting experiences, but we do that with a deeply strategic approach, addressing the whole ecosystem of where a company live and operate. And with that, we also foster this focus and specialization on technology and tech heavy industries and also I don't think that we just harbor a lot of nerds as well <laughs> or tech enthusiasts <laughs> we or whatever you want to call it so yeah so what do you say why do we need yet another tech podcast well 2020 and 2021 were eventful years to say the least And in some way, shape or form, we have COVID-19 to thank for the increased adoption of tech across various verticals. For example, Metaverse has been introduced to the masses. We have seen an increase in blockchain applications from NFTs and games to fashion, brands and enterprises. So for us, doing this podcast is an opportunity to learn more and to dig into how these new areas of application will impact businesses, both in interactions with their customers and partners, but also in their operations and product and service mm. portfolios. Yeah. Yeah. And we are hoping to also get some experts on board so that we can get into the nitty gritty and ask them all the questions that we have and that I'm sure that a lot of Uh, a lot of people out there have as well. But for today, let's just do a run through. Let's dive in. <laughs> let's do that. But so the natural start then for this session, I guess that's the metaverse, isn't it? It's the metaverse. It's the metaverse. So I think that's going to be up to you, Barbara. Can you explain to us what is the metaverse or what is your definition of what do you think the metaverse <laughs> is? <laughs> Let's start with that. There's so many definitions, but yes, as you said, the hype is definitely real and it's all over the place. Even more so after Facebook, that is now called Meta, took the spotlight with their new name and quite boldly claimed their position in the metaverse world. So the metaverse, if we just go a few steps back, is a concept and the word in itself originates from Neil, Stephenson, Neil Stephenson's book that is called Snow Crash, where metaverse is considered being a 3D rendered world where people meet, interact as avatars, build their own houses and so much more. Have you read his book? I've read his yeah, book. Because <laughs> I just ordered Because <laughs> I've been so curious since I, well, since uh, Facebook came Facebook, out as yes. Meta. Did you like it? The book? Yeah. I think it was sometimes yeah. a quite of a heavy read. Yeah. There's a lot of information uh, in that book. Yeah. But I think it's also quite interesting to see that so many years back, yeah. Neil, who is a fantastic writer mm -hmm. and has 
quite a broad knowledge, not just about technologies, but you know the the universe in itself. Mm. It was quite interesting to see that he describes so many concepts mm. that are actually being used now. Yeah. So, do you think it gave it helped you out to understand better what the metaverse is now that we we've started talking about it in 2021? In some ways, um, since my previous work, I've been quite well acquainted mm. with both virtual and augmented reality, and I think a lot of people actually equates metaverse to virtual and augmented reality. But I think those, in my opinion, are just two technologies that mm-hmm. are enabling for us to experience the metaverse. But there are several definitions of what the metaverse could be. I sort of picked a few that I mm-hmm. want to describe because I think they describe it quite well on a, on a broader level. So one of them says that it is an expansive network of persistent, real-time rendered 3D worlds and simulations that can be experienced synchronously by an effectively unlimited number of users, each with its own individual sense of presence. So then according to this definition, the metaverse is a product or service with seven core attributes, including persistence, synchronicity, and interoperability. There's a technology strategist, Ben Thompson, who has argued that his that this description is in fact not really far from what the internet, for example, already is and does, only with a 3D layer added on top of it. But if we go into a more simplistic definition, the metaverse has also been described as a place where users can connect, interact, and transfer themselves and their belongings across multiple digital locations. Um, but if I just highlight what I've already said is most commonly the metaverse is a bit misdescribed as virtual reality, whereas in truth, virtual mm-hmm. reality is only one way to experience the metaverse. I feel like that's where it becomes so difficult to grasp in a way, because will that be, do we, do we think that it's going to be a space that is completely, how do you say? Separate. Uh, yeah, completely separate from, from our reality and from the physical reality. Will it be a complement or will that eventually take over? <laughs> Which is the, the dystopian way of seeing Very it, isn't dystopian. it? Hopefully not. I think I personally think that it will just complement mm-hmm. our reality. There's also, we are sort of quite in early stages oh. of the metaverse right now. Um, and I think a lot more will be understood in the coming years. Mm. I think the easiest way maybe to look at it right now is if we look at the different applications, which we will also explain in mm-hmm. one of our late ep- later episodes. But we can mention, for example, gaming. I think mm. that one is the most common or prominent one. You know, we've seen and heard a lot about Roblox, Fortnite, Decentraland. You have amazing virtual reality games that is Beat Saber, for example, or Half-Life. And then you also have more social games, yeah. again, in VR, some of them being VR Chat and Rec Room. So that's one application, is the gaming. Then you also can look at it from an organizational perspective. Mm-hmm. Especially virtual reality and augmented reality have been quite widely used mm-hmm. in organizations for training purposes. Yeah, yeah. And that's been a huge use case that is not often talked about because companies don't always communicate that externally. But that's one part. Again, you're experiencing uh, uh, the metaverse in a way <laughs> through this medium, right? Yeah, well, that's what's so funny, right? Because, like, obviously, these are some of these things have been around for quite some time. And we haven't really made, realized that we have gradually been moving towards the metaverse. It's just like this all-encompassing um, concept yeah. where we imagine ourselves stepping into that world that seems so foreign. I, I see that as like Lego bits in a, in a way, yes. where we, yes, we are just like great. plucking it to, <laughs> together. And eventually maybe we'll have larger, you know, Lego platforms <laughs> which is maybe then Roblox together with Decentraland, which kind of 
can interact with each other or where you can move assets from one place to another because they are somehow connected. Exactly. And that's kind of what well, I have, with my very limited <laughs> understanding, <laughs> thought of the metaverse as being. Mm, I think that's I think that's a great understanding mm. already. And what you're talking about now, you know, the transferring of the assets mm. from one virtual world to another between different platforms is the interoperability, which yeah. would allow one asset to be recognized, you know, from one platform to be recognized in this other platform. Yeah. That's quite a big challenge to achieve because it means that essentially every sort of software uh, but also hardware needs to sort of recognize those assets and allow them to be uh, to live there in that mm-hmm. platform. And that's that's something that has not happened yet. But I think a lot of companies right now, a lot of mm-hmm. startups that we're hearing about are trying to fix this problem of interoperability. But I think once you start breaking down, and I think the Lego comparison is mm-hmm. fantastic because, you know, it has this different pieces and yeah. areas. And once you start putting them into these building blocks, I think then it's a little bit easier to understand mm-hmm. what the metaverse sort of is mm-hmm. uh, and h- how we can utilize it. Yeah, that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. But so what, what actual value will this bring? <laughs> I mean, we're practically just adding another, another world or another environment to the one that we already have exactly i guess yes in yes exactly i think the way it brings value is again to breaking it down into different sort of verticals and again if we look at organizations where vr again is being used for training there is a clear increase in efficiency then there is a decrease in cost long term, mm-hmm. but there's also a safety component. So especially training for dangerous roles, like in a, in a building sort of organizations where training their employees can be quite dangerous sometimes. Virtual reality brings that safety um, element to it so that oh, you yeah. can train Definitely. in an environment that is safe, but still get that same experience. Mm-hmm. You know, with virtual reality, you basically trick your brain into thinking that you are somewhere oh, else, yeah. where in reality, you're not. <laughs> Definitely, because our brain has not followed. <laughs> the evolution of technology is far ahead. Far ahead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know, and then also the learning perspective. Again, it applies to organizations, but it also can be applied to schools. Then you also have this social perspective where where... The metaverse, it allows us to connect and play games um, in virtual worlds with either friends or people mm. we've never met who are maybe on a other part, other side of the world or in another city even. But it allows you to connect and have this interaction in a virtual on a virtual platform. Mm. Yeah, but I still feel like we're obviously not quite there yet of what we imagine the vision of the metaverse being. And and already today, with all the the data flows that we have, all the uh, devices and things that are connected these days, all of the interactions that we have that are dependent on internet-based applications. I mean, obviously, there's already a lot of capacity and computing power needed for that. Are we even ready for a metaverse given the conditions, the infrastructure that we have? We know that like 5G is coming up. Obviously, that's going to give us better experiences mm-hmm. in terms of latency, in terms of uh, connectivity and so on. But what what do we think are the terms and, condi- oh, terms and conditions, requirements and conditions really, uh, to get to the metaverse that we want to that we want to reach or that we envision? Mm, Very important question. And I've been trying to read up so much on that. I I actually came across um, an article from Matthew Ball, who is a technologist. And he sort of wrote a metaverse primer series of articles where he 
goes from explaining the conditions and requirements, but then also dives deeper into each area. So the seven areas that Matthew Ball describes, which are critical to the development of the metaverse, is first of all, of course, hardware. We need hardware. Of course. Networking, compute, virtual platforms, the interchange tools and standards. We have payments. And then, of course, there's also content, services, and the assets. And those are sort of the seven areas that that are required for the yeah. metaverse to, to live, to work smoothly. And I think this is a super interesting list to look at because it makes you wonder who is going to be in charge of what part because you have such different stakeholders that can provide one or maybe two of these things. Mm. But obviously, there can't be one one actor, one player. Like, not even like anyone as big as Google or anything no. that will uphold all of this. And thank God, because we can't have that kind of monopoly <laughs> no. in no. this world. And Facebook or Meta or whatever they want to call themselves. <laughs> um, they're not going to be in charge of this entire infrastructure no. or this entire ecosystem. No, I think there's going to be a list of different players mm. that will most likely provide very specific services. Yeah. Definitely 5G is something that can be provided by a few players mm-hmm. globally that will enable that uh, transfer of data in a more much faster and efficient way. Mm. But of course we have we have service providers mm-hmm. if you look at it in that way and then we also have hardware providers. Yeah. We have Meta actually or Facebook on both sides so they will provide the platform mm-hmm. but they also provide hardware which is the Oculus. Yeah. They very famously oh, bought yeah. Oculus company. I think it was back in 2014 for Do you think they were already then planning this move might be, could be. I'm not sure. Yeah, but it might be because uh, things move fast, right? They but, do. But somehow, maybe they. I mean, they still they have a lot of smart people in their company that could could probably foresee where where this the, is going. Yeah, exactly. And actually, it's quite interesting because Neil Stevenson mm. he worked at a company called Magic Leap. I think already back in 2016, 15, I want to say. I've heard of Magic Leap. Wait, what were they doing? They are a hardware provider. Yeah. Um, so they uh, produce m- this mixed or augmented reality mm-hmm. goggles. Mm-hmm. And I worked with them before. Uh, they've back then, super early, mm. created a headset or goggles that was incredibly well working. Mm-hmm. But they started prototyping very early. Mm-hmm. So I would think that Facebook in 2014 realized that as a social network company, mm-hmm. I guess at some point your growth reaches its peak. So what yeah. is your next evolution? Mm. Where is it going to go? I think they have seen that it's leading towards these virtual platforms. And I also think Apple, for example... Mm. There's been so much speculation on when is Apple going to release the headset? Yeah. Because Apple started hiring a lot of very interesting people very early on as well. Maybe 2015, 2016. Okay. What, what, ki- what kind of interesting people are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so those were... I mean, pe- I don't need names, but you know, no. like in what, in what field or from what area? So it was people who have worked previously in companies that have been creating... Goggles or mm-hmm. headset, Google Glass, so for devices, example. essentially, devices, yeah. but also then programmers mm-hmm. to build this virtual platforms. Yeah, and now we've been getting even more sort of uh, articles out yeah. leaking uh, with their code, where you oh, can yeah. see that they have this operating like system leaking, leaking, or just like well, kind of a PR leak. <laughs> It seems like it's leaking, leaking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I think, you know, Apple has been doing something for a long yeah. time. 
but hasn't released yet anything. Oh, okay. But I think they're probably waiting for that perfect timing yeah. when when we are ready and when they have something that will probably be a super seamless, sleek looking device yeah. that is not heavy mm. because that's a bit of a problem. Would you now walk around the streets with this big headset on your head? No, no. you know, I even remember when I was in high school, my, I think it was my math teacher, he had Google glasses. Mm. Oh my God, did he look silly in them? <laughs> but everyone was jealous, obviously, because like, we knew it had certain features to it that could evolve his daily activities in a, yes. in a way. Um, but that was definitely ahead of its time. That's just dropped. And with that being said, I think Google in general, haven't they been pretty poor at developing devices? Yes, but so actually with the Google Glass, it's yeah. interesting because they launched in... This was, was it 2007, 8? Very early, yes. 8 or 9 or 10. I think it was exactly, I think you're on point there, 7, 8 or 9. But what happened with Google Glass is that the problem that they had, which yeah. I think happens to Google quite often, is that they create something that doesn't have a clear objective or usage. Oh, yeah. And that is what happened with Google Glass. There was no clear understanding. People didn't understand why do I have, why do I use these glasses? What is my, yeah. what is the value that it adds to my everyday? So in the end, they actually, the yeah. glasses got banned. Oh, but in what countries? I mean, I can see in Europe, we have regulations for everything. But yes, so US actually banned them everywhere almost. Oh, yeah. Entering into cinemas, entering into restaurants because oh, they you were could record. Yes, or, exactly. Yeah. So there was recording or safety sort of issues, privacy issues mm. that uh, everyone was worried about. Yeah. So there was, it was a flop for Google back then. But bless them for trying. Yes. I, I, I always think it's great when companies try out and just launch push something. It, yeah. Just pushing something. I mean, a company like Google, if anyone, they, they, can, they can afford to fail. Absolutely. So if anyone, they should definitely be pushing the, the boundaries. And then, how will you succeed if you don't try and yeah. fail and learn hopefully yeah, from that? Yeah, exactly. If we if we look at gaming, then because um, that's obviously it, it's a massive industry, huge. I mean, it's it's stupid how back in the days you had such a such a narrow idea of what gaming meant, and now you have this industry that is one game. I actually had this conversation with someone today and he said that there's like one game that um, uh, the re revenue of that game is more than the entire music industry. It's it's huge. And I'm not it's sure huge. if that, like obviously I don't have a source. This was like a fleeting conversation in the <laughs> lunchroom or something. So I, I might have to check up on that. But I know it's massive. It's massive, yes. So what's what's going on and what's going to happen now then with the uh, with the metaverse coming with the technology that we already have in place so you're right gaming is incredibly big industry mm. and it has grown even more actually since the pandemic started mm. the pandemic really accelerated the growth of the industry oh yeah of course and i mean video games have been around for decades mm -hmm. i got my first computer when i was Maybe six, seven. I need to ask my parents. Really? Very early. Oh, wow. And I was playing games all the time. <laughs> I was what, okay, what, the, what did you play? <laughs> did you, do you remember? I remember the game. I can't remember the name. It was, it was a rabbit. Uh, yeah. And he was a sort of a fighter type of rabbit. I mm -hmm. think it was called Rabbit X, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I played that game all the time. Um, <coughs> You know, so we've been getting entertainment from gaming across generations. And, you know, it started from something very pixelated, which mm. that game definitely was very pixelated. But now you play games that are 
where the characters are even more lifelike than mm-hmm. ever. And that's thanks to this ever-evolving technology. And you are right, actually. The conversation you had is true. The, the video game sector is immensely large and it is, in fact, larger than the movie and music industries combined. That's insane. It's insane. And, you know, and it keeps growing each day. So there are, at the moment, there are over 2 billion gamers at this very moment across the globe. And that's 26% of the world's population. And, you know, in 2020 alone, it generated, the gaming industry generated 155 billion US dollars in revenue. And it's supposed to grow up to 260 billion USD yeah. in by 2025. But what is actually very interesting in gaming industry over the last year mm-hmm. and what's really what really gained popularity is blockchain-based gaming. That's super interesting. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I have a lot of questions on this, mm. but when it comes to blockchain-based gaming, is that different in terms of interface or is that different in terms of just, you know, all the backend? It's, it's the backend. It mm. essentially gives users or players mm. the ownership rights mm-hmm. which you previously haven't had. Mm. You know, so I, for example, played a lot of World of Warcraft. Yeah. And, you know, there you often gain through your gameplay, mm-hmm. you sort of gain access to different skins or tools that mm-hmm. are helping you to progress further. Yeah. Or you can buy purchase these items yeah. for a certain price. But if you, you know, when you stop playing the game mm-hmm. or when you stop playing, you know, or delete the game, you lose all of those assets. What happens with blockchain right. is yeah. that that ownership is yours. It's stored on a blockchain that's yeah. linked to you and you can sell those assets and you can keep earning sort of money on it if you want to. Exactly, because that was my thought. Essentially, the experience maybe in the game won't be much different, no, right? I no. mean, blockchain as it is, is not like, it's not interacting with any with anyone in that sense. But yeah, that's going to be such a big part of the metaverse then, right? It's, that it's that you, can, you can stop and you can gain it back because it exactly. will be eternally coded into the blockchain. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, and there are many, actually many games that are like Axie Infinity, for example, mm-hmm. is one of those blockchain games, which is very popular. Mm. And, you know, you have this play to earn model mm-hmm. where you sort of, le- what play to earn is, is basically you leverage the immutability of mm-hmm. the blockchain technology where game designers or even you as a player mm-hmm. can create your in-game item and rewards that are probably unique and transferable. So all the rewards you can get can ra- range from either earning the native digital currencies mm-hmm. to collecting NFTs or be earned from staking. So in turns, those coins can then be exported to your crypto wallet and be converted into a fiat currency, which is Mm -hmm. either US dollar or euro. At this moment, it's quite difficult actually to set up, not difficult, but there's just a lot of different steps to set up your own wallet at first. I think for for someone who is maybe (coughs) 10, 12 years old, Mm -hmm. They would have to ask their parent, like, oh, yeah. can you, you know, can you set up a crypto wallet so that I can? Well, because you need money exactly. to, to begin with, and exactly. a ten-year-old should not be no. in charge of their finances. No. no, yeah, but but it's very interesting. And the X Infinity game that I mentioned, it's been very popular in Philippines. Yeah, and what that game has done during the pandemic, you know, so a lot of people in the Philippines have lost their jobs or struggled to earn salaries, mm-hmm. but through playing the game and with this play to earn mm-hmm. model, and they were able to actually earn enough on a monthly basis to provide for their That's living. insane. It's crazy. 
So I think that's that's the biggest benefit yeah. for the blockchain-based games. What do you do in that game? I could almost you know? think it's similar to... Have you, have you ever played Tamagotchi? Have you ever had your own Tamagotchi? In my opinion, it's quite similar to Tamagotchi's. In the game, mm-hmm. you as a player can purchase, battle or breed virtual creatures that are called Axis. Mm-hmm. And they are minted exclusively on the Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. So you basically breed these little animals, mm-hmm. Axis, mm-hmm. in the game. And then as you breed them, they evolve, they gain in their value. And then you can sell them to other players. But you mean there's no there's no advertising involved in this? Not that I know. Not in the Axie game, no. That's so nice to hear in a way. Yeah. You know, because I don't think necessarily that just the idea of you earning money from playing, it's not common, no. but it's not new, right? No. But just the fact that like, usually the the money that you get that comes straight from advertising or that you get right. you give away some of your data so that they can use that for profiling or so that they can use it for God knows what because you don't read the terms and conditions. <laughs> but either way, <laughs> exactly. you kind yeah. of you kind of give away your your data or some sort of um, personal information. information. Like in, like in, I guess, social media networks or apps. Exactly. You don't pay for it, but you do pay for it. Yeah. You know, so there's a question, can we have a social app where your privacy is not the currency? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. But no, not, not in Axie Infinity. You have other blockchain based experiences or games where, and you know, we, we will talk about this also in yeah. one of our episodes because I think it's super interesting. But brands are sort of purchasing their own land, mm-hmm. like the central yeah, land that we yeah, mentioned. Yeah, yeah. You know, a brand can purchase their own piece there mm-hmm. and build whatever structure they want. Mm-hmm. So I think Nike has their own sort of store mm-hmm. in the central land. Where you That's can insane. where you can go and experience them as a brand in a game. And I guess and you buy, buy their NFTs. items as NFTs somehow. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then you have those experiences. But I think then is it more of advertising mm-hmm. or is it more of a actual value or actual business? Yeah. Where you can experience a brand in a in yeah. a different way. Yeah. What really boggles my mind is just the value that you put into these kind of assets. For instance, if you buy a pair of shoes at the Nike store in the central land, the, the value that you put into that is quite different from the value that you put. Or maybe it's not, but mm-hmm. like, but it, it's interesting to me how you va- value stuff that are not physical. Mm. And how, for instance, then as you as you mentioned, you know that uh, in X uh, Infinity, that the the pet that you have will um, go up in value as you raise it. How does that? How how does it accumulate value? So essentially, what really adds value to the mm-hmm. item is the blockchain. So the code behind mm-hmm. it. Really, there are certain attributes that make that item that you can see Mm -hmm. in in this digital format. You know, like when you have Crypto Kitties, for example, Mm -hmm. which was, I think, like one of the first games where you were able to breed kittens. And and each of them had its own type of specialty, which made it more valuable. But in reality, or it is actually the code behind it that creates the value. What an NFT is and what it means, so NFT is a non-fungible token. Mm -hmm. And for a comparison, so you have non-fungible tokens and you have fungible tokens. Fungible tokens Mm -hmm. are the cryptocurrencies. So one ether has the same amount of value as one ether or... Mm -hmm. So it's it's fungible. It can be replaced for another ether, Ethereum, ether. 
uh, whereas Mo- money is money exactly yeah, fungible. And whereas non fungible means that it's unique, mm-hmm. so it has a unique set of assets yeah. that you cannot exchange for another because mm-hmm. there's no same piece mm-hmm. that exists. And that's that's why the NFTs become yeah. so valuable. There's only one yeah. created. You can have NFTs which are kind of, maybe someone will create 10 of the same NFTs, mm-hmm. but then the value might also decline. De- decline. Or, yeah. and, I, and I think a lot of times when you listen to other people who are buying NFTs, for example, or having discussions around is that Nobody really knows if the money that is being spent on NFTs mm-hmm. is actually going to either, you know, are you going to lose in that value in yeah. five years time? Like, can you display your NFT mm-hmm. right now? J- apart from showing it on social media mm-hmm. as your profile picture. So there's a lot of these question marks on how will it evolve, but what some companies have started doing, I think it was for the Board Ape Yacht Club, mm-hmm. If you want, you can sort of put your unique NFT from the Board mm-hmm. Ape Yacht Club on a on a skateboard, and that company prints it for you. But mm-hmm. of course, you have the original asset again, so mm-hmm. it's yours. But they would sort of transfer it onto a physical object if you wow, want to. Okay. So then you can show it outside of the virtual world. Yeah. You probably would want to, considering how much money you've spent <laughs> you on spend. that. I mean, you have some bragging rights if you get. <laughs> I would. I think so. Yeah. So we've been we've been digging into NFTs, the yes. metaverse, gaming. Obviously, these are areas that all interlink with each other. Mm. But in this kind of space, how do we get brands? to get involved because I feel like the threshold can be quite high for those mm. that maybe can't invest in an entire uh, you know metaverse specialized marketing team or any or oh. something like that but yeah how do we get brands on so board? it is I guess tricky because it is still kind of a new type of can we say industry or area yeah but as with everything it's important for each brand or company Mm -hmm. to find its place and then balance the risk versus reward equation. Mm. There are plenty of brands that are taking full advantage Mm. of the gaming and we touched upon those a little Mm. bit. Um, So the gaming part of the metaverse with branded experiences that are then essentially sort of virtual and immersive sponsorship. And... You know, I think the metaverse is potentially the next iteration of how we humans use the internet to connect, communicate, but also transact. Um, and we've seen that with, you know, cryptocurrencies, mm. with connecting through different gaming channels. <clears throat> but as a brand, there are a few, I think, important points mm. to pay attention to. So one is you should pick your target. So who are your target demographics and what kind of behaviors are trending with the current and prospective consumers right now Mm -hmm. that can indicate of how fast you as a brand Mm. or a company can move into the metaverse. Then another good example is if you can look at what your competitors are doing in the Mm. space and see what learnings you can maybe take from them. Then also explore what kind of applications would work best for your brand that can serve your specific long-term goals as Mm -hmm. a company. Then, of course, you need to plan on when and how should you enter the metaverse, like what makes most sense for you. Mm -hmm. And then if you're already in or once you get into the metaverse, you should make sure that you keep a close track on performance to balance out the risk versus reward. So those are sort of some, I think, key areas that are important to keep track of. There can Mm. be many more, but just as a a start, this is sort of a good turning uh, or like good framework to to have as a brand. 
I think it's interesting when you say like risk versus reward, because I imagine that it's not just a question about like financial risk, obviously like stepping into a new, a new, um, business area or a new platform, a new digital platform, like it will obviously need some sort of investment. I imagine that there's also some brand equity at stake if you step into this new environment where you have like a new kind of new type of target group or an extension of your target group. There must be some culture cues, some just some just ways that you should and could and and definitely should and could not behave as a brand in that space. Exactly. You know, and it's actually quite an interesting point you bring up because especially, you know, now we've been talking a lot mm. about gaming industry and I've actually, you know, had a friend who told me who spends quite a lot of time mm. playing virtual reality games and she said that she got harassed one time. In a VR oh, wow. world, and that okay. is a thing. And there's been by by, by a by a company or by a like by, me- by a different but, by a different yeah. avatar there. Yeah. So you know, imagine if you're a company or a brand that has some sort of involvement into that specific game. Mm-hmm. Like then the responsibility could also fall onto you because oh, yeah. you know, of course, this is a bigger issue because it sort of connects us to then what sort of guidelines should we have yeah. in these virtual worlds where harassment can very much happen, you know, but as a brand, when you decide to sort of participate mm-hmm. or have some sort of involvement mm-hmm. in that, then you're of course dependent on that game or, yeah. or the provider yeah. of the game, you know, so that's, I think some, some of the risks you yeah. have to evaluate. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, you also have to look at who are the other companies involved in that. Yeah. Uh, there's, I think, a big, big evaluation you have to do mm-hmm. um, before and you I, decide. And I think it's also because I know like every time we talk about, every time we talk about bringing a product or a service into a uh, to a gaming target group, we don't do that a lot. <laughs> No. <laughs> I'm not this is not intended to sound as if we we have a lot of clients or customers within the gaming industry but there's been like but we've been in in discussion on this kind uh this kind of industry mm-hmm. and one thing that always comes up is that it's a quite a picky target audience like they will notice straight away yes. if you are authentic yes. if you are sincere I mean I as a company, obviously, there's always going to be a financial interest in whatever initiative mm. they take on, but <clears throat> but still, you can you can make a very valuable experience for the target group, and you can make it a socially and culturally mm. valuable experience, right? Exactly. So I feel like that's also a risk that you take stepping into this kind of new environment. That yeah. you have to play by the rules that the people that are native in this environment have set up. Because you as a brand will probably be, well, you will be very new to it. And if you don't have a team that are very, like, um, that are gamers themselves or that are very familiar in virtual Mm. uh, surroundings, then probably it will be a lot for you to learn before stepping in. Exactly. You know, you, sh- you should never be ignorant to yeah, to exactly. what you're doing and to where you are doing yeah. whatever you're doing. Yeah. And um, like some years ago, I don't know if this is still the case, mm-hmm. but I've been following sort of what Gucci as a brand has been doing. Yes. Because yes, I, I think they are so interesting. Of mm-hmm. course, they've been very popular and maybe some people are thinking, you know, oh, not Gucci again. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I've actually been, I've downloaded their app back in, what was it? Maybe 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I was reading an article about, because they've been releasing a lot of games. Mm-hmm. They've been implementing augmented reality. So you were mm-hmm. able to try on sunglasses mm-hmm. and it works really well on their mm-hmm. app. And they constantly update it. Yeah. And then I was reading an article I think it was on Harvard Business Review. Yeah. They were talking about these shadow boards that companies have. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, companies normally have board of directors mm-hmm. and of course Gucci has that. But what they've started also doing is they've started setting up a shadow board, which essentially consisted of younger people. Mm-hmm. And they were providing their knowledge and their sort of expertise on how Gucci as a brand can be can appeal to this different audience now. Yeah. And and I think and I think Louis Vuitton has been doing similar has been mentioned in that article. And I and I think, you know, that's for me is an example of a brand that is not ignorant mm-hmm. to what they're doing. You know, they're very conscious. <clears throat> they also sort of have a set of values that they follow as a company and dedicate mm-hmm. themselves to when it comes to environmental mm. issues. But, you know, I think just from how I've been following them and seeing what they've been doing as a brand, they can be someone that other brands can look up to and learn from. Yeah. Do we have other good examples of brands in the metaverse that you can think of? I would think so. Um, found a few there's many, many more, plenty more. And again, as I've referenced so many times, we'll have an episode about that. So stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've, I've sort of pointed out three that have a different kind of maybe target audience and a different purpose. But one of them is Clinique. It's a cosmetic brand for those who don't know. And what they have done... Not too long ago, I think it was not even half a year, maybe two, three months ago, they have offered an NFT mm-hmm. related to their sort of brand history in in a bid to drive loyalty and add marketing weight to its top products in a sign of more purposeful brand uses on NFTs. So for me, that was kind of the first project of this kind that I've seen mm-hmm. from a brand to engage their customers, mm-hmm. consumers, customers on a level that drives loyalty. That's why I thought it was interesting. I think it was one of the first ones who've done that. Another one that we've talked about and is, um, I- I'm not biased in any way, <laughs> <laughs> but it's Gucci. They have big done fan though. big fan. <laughs> uh, Huge respect, of course, for what, how they are doing things. But, you know, they did their very first drop of 10 NFTs in beginning of February. They've been created in a collaboration with quite a famous toy brand, Super Plastic, and co-designed by Gucci's head of design, of course, Alessandro Michel. So then each NFT will be given away with a ceramic sculpture that is handmade in Italy and co-designed by Gucci. So that's very special. And then the third one that I wanted to point out to is Sotheby's. Uh, so Sotheby's mm-hmm. is a um, an auction house mm-hmm. that we all Very know. Very prestigious one. Very prestigious one. Another one is Christie's, and it was it was Christie's actually mm-hmm. that was a uh, this luxurious auction house that has sold first NFT ever yeah. uh, from Beeple. Yeah. What's <laughs> it, f- 5,000 first, first 5,000 5, days. days. And it was sold. It's, it's, it's crazy. We watched that video in our conference. It's a beautiful video. It's yes. just so genuine. Yes. And it was sold for over 69 million US dollars. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But Sotheby's, the other auction house, they actually launched their very first, their very own dedicated platform Mm -hmm. that is aimed at digital collectors and it's called Sotheby's Metaverse. And what the platform does is they offer a curated selection of NFTs, which mm-hmm. are chosen by auction houses specialists. I think this is so cool because, you know, I've never imagined auction houses or the entire, I mean, the art in itself mm-hmm. is very 
it's very trend sensitive. It's very forward leaning. By all means, mm. the industry, I think, is not. No. I mean, if you look at how how exclusive it is, and how no, above all, excluding it is. It is yes, and how you how you have to work your ways to even buy art, and how you have to, uh, and how it's still kind of, you know, you, you buy art for ridiculous money. But artists themselves are still quite mm. underpaid, yeah. given the value that their their art has. Exactly. And so, well, with, with that in mind, I think it's just super interesting that these kind of very is old fashioned fair to say, I guess, respected. very very respect traditional traditional uh, yes. uh, industries that they still look at the future and that they were so quick in a way to apply a few, like a future business area. Yeah. That, that's, that to me is just very impressive. It is, I agree. And, I, and you're also bringing a very important point here because mm. artists are mm. so, I think... They, a lot of them, especially again, we're really mentioning the pandemic, but mm-hmm. it has affected our lives for so long. But especially during the pandemic, a lot of people have lost their jobs. Yeah. And artists often also work as either freelance or yeah. based on the orders they received. Mm-hmm. So they're always dependent of the, on their next order. Yeah. And again, now what the blockchain technology does, when you can put your artwork onto a blockchain, sell it, you know, either on Ethereum, which Mm -hmm. currently is most commonly used currency or blockchain platform. And, you know, what it allows them to do is not just to create an artwork that they can sell once, Mm -hmm. but they can actually decide that every time... Yes. The art piece mm-hmm. is sold. They will get yes. some sort of a contribution, mm-hmm. whether it be 5%, 10%, whatever they decide. But, you know, so they can create now their own sort of income structure from that. Yeah. And I think that's super, super nice and super impressive. I that can't they have believe this it has taken us this long to, to establish yeah. a model like that. But exactly... Because whenever if if you you are an artist selling physical art, you will get paid once per art piece. Yes, which is ridiculous. Because usually, art or at least very, like high art will mm. be resold over and over and over again. And you never but, see but, that. Yeah, and it will just like in many cases. I'm not going to say like in most because that's definitely not no. true. Many, but it, in in several cases. <laughs> It goes up in value. Yes. And you still won't get a share. Exactly. So at least this is kind of giving giving back to the artist community. Yeah. So do you collect NFTs for the creative value or do you buy it because you will have a part of a collection as for instance, you know, with uh, with the board apes and the crypto mm. punks and so on. Um, or, or do, you, do you buy stuff because they're pretty? I feel like that's not the case. No, I think a lot of the buying that has happened is connected to the this belonging to a mm. community. Yeah, and of course, at the same time, you buy some. You know, you buy something on a blockchain. It's yeah. super cool. It's modern. It's yeah. innovative technology. You it's, don't know it's where it's going. It yeah, can, it's, it's, it's exciting. And if you're lucky, it can suddenly just increase. <laughs> I've been watching it. Do my you have wallet. NFTs? I have no NFTs, but I do have uh, some cryptocurrencies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, so. In some way, of course, you probably see that uniqueness because mm-hmm. it's only one item that is, mm. you know, and is the one you have and there's no other that mm. is alike. But, you know, there's other aspects to it. So it's the community, uh, the blockchain itself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, another point, which I think would be also interesting if we talk about mm-hmm. is that 
you know, you have Christie's, you have Sotheby's, and they're both mm-hmm. now trying to create this metaverse where they sell digital collections. Mm-hmm. But then it brings back to a question then, is it again limiting to a certain artist yes. that that can participate yes. on Sotheby's, on Christie's, for example? But, and also... Also, yes, yeah, sorry. The, the no. middlemen, again, mm-hmm. you know... Um, what happened with blockchain is a lot of artists are able to sell their art mm-hmm. without going through a middleman person. Yeah. Here again, you have some type of middleman. Yeah. So is it better? Is it not? <laughs> it's it's a it's a lot of questions. And I, is it actually democratizing yes. art buying? Yes. Or are we just finding a new way? Yes. To find to to sell new stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Is it truly democratizing or not? I think this is this is probably one of my favorite topics because I feel like there's no, this is so complex, and Mm. I feel like it's such an interesting topic because you have one very old uh, traditional industry meeting something so new, and you have so different type of buyers on each side mm. and you have such different drivers from each side. Yeah. I mean, owning a Picasso, which is, well, funny example because Picasso's grandkid uh, started selling Picassos as NFTs. Really? Read, yeah. Like it was, I read it quite recently. I have to check. I haven't seen that. But I think they had like uh, examples from his work being sold as NFTs. Probably for good money as well, right? Mm. But it's... And, and I guess like a, any type of target group will be able to value uh, or appreciate, appreciate a yes. piece of Picasso, whatever shape or form it, you're being, it's being given to you. Mm. But it's interesting how, yeah, how you have such different target groups with such different drivers and somehow they kind of meet in this you know, world of art yeah. <laughs> or industry of art at Southern Speaks. <laughs> I know. And I think in some way, because it's quite interesting now, I've been thinking about it as you were talking about, you know, the, the old art versus this new digital art or formats of mm-hmm. art. I think what's sort of interesting is that I guess what Sotheby is now doing with our metaverse, the target audience is there or way different Mm -hmm. than you know someone who is buying a Picasso or Monet Mm -hmm. would they go to the Sotheby's platform and buy a digital piece of artwork do they have this emotional connection and can value that digital art piece in the same way so I think it's Sotheby's sort of again probably as Gucci kind of looking ahead Mm -hmm. and thinking of what other new target audiences can we open to? Yeah. Which, you know, has also happened. I'm again, I'm again going back to Gucci, right? <laughs> because they've yeah. collaborated with, so they had a North Face collection. Yeah. They launched. Oh my, that's, that's one, one nice collection. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and they've sort of had this collaboration with the Pokemon mm-hmm. Go, the AR mm-hmm. game. In a way, it's like, why would a Gucci do something for a game that's maybe not for their target audience Mm -hmm. specifically? Mm -hmm. But I think what they're doing and other brands who Mm -hmm. are engaging with the gaming communities is that they are catching those kids right now Mm -hmm. who maybe cannot afford their uh, clothing or accessories at the moment, but in five, six, seven, eight years time... They yeah. will be. They will see Gucci and be like, they were in the game that I played, and I had their skin as a part, of, you know, as uh, on my avatar. Yeah. But now I can purchase it, and I want to because yeah. they're cool, they're trendy. I have a relationship to them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think, smart move. Definitely. Also, since if you have like. Gucci maybe has a younger target group, but I mean, Christie's and Sotheby's and so on, surely their target group must be aging. Mm. So this is the, 
I mean, I'm not going to say the easiest, but this is definitely a speedboat to <laughs> to younger audiences. Yes. yes. So I think for them it's probably, yeah, reshaping their brand to mm. appeal to a younger audience yeah. or demographic. Yeah. So with that said, this has been very interesting conversation, I think. Um, but how, what do you say? Should we maybe wrap this up now? Sounds like a plan. Let's talk more in the next episode. Wonderful. Well, thank you for the first episode together, Barbara. Thank you too, Martina. It's <laughs> this been has great. Been, yeah, this has been so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. Go to the links in the description to follow us on social media. And if you like this episode, don't forget to share and subscribe so you never miss out on future episodes.